Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Glad to have you in worship with us. Glad to have those uh, who are online there with us, whether you're on uh, YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. Be sure to like, to share, to follow, to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, hit that notification bell. That way you'll get the notifications every time we go live. And then retweet us on Twitter there. And welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming. Uh, if you need that number, we'll be glad to give that to you. Just call the church office. If you need it in person, uh, just let me know, and I'll be glad to give you that number. Uh, so hopefully it's working for everyone there. We had one call this morning to make sure uh, they had the correct information, and so hopefully they're uh, online also. Uh, if you have access to our church website at home, go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab that you can download today's worship bulletin as well as the children's worship bulletins. If you need those in person, uh, they are in our windowsills as well as at the doors, so be sure to uh, pick up those. Uh, the children's worship ones are over here to my right, and they go along with each uh, Sunday morning service, and so I encourage you to take the time to either download those at home, send the link to someone, uh, or pick up the paper copy that we have. And then also under the info tab there, you can download this week's prayer list. So be sure to get that downloaded so you can be praying for uh, the individuals who are on that. If you need the paper version, uh, they are on the table outside the offices. So be sure to grab one of those. But glad to see everybody that's here this morning. Uh, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Good morning all. Let's stand and praise the Lord by singing hymn number four, To God Be the Glory, all three times.
It's at this time we come to our missionary moment of the week. Uh, our missionaries are there in your bulletins, so be sure to take a look there at their whole story. But they are serving there in Puerto Rico. They moved from Venezuela uh, to Villalba, uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, couldn't find a church nearby, and then uh, they attended a church that was far away from where they lived. Soon the pastor there encouraged them to help start a church closer to where they were, and through the work of some pastors there, uh, they were able to get that started. And so now uh, Roy and Ville-Marie uh, Vidal are serving there in Puerto Rico as our missionaries for the North American Mission Board. And so I want to encourage you to be praying for them as well as all of our missionaries around the world and continue praying about giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the blessings of this day. Thank you for bringing us into your presence. And we just want to continue to uplift our missionaries uh, each and every week. Lord, may they always be upon our hearts. Uh, Lord, may we realize that every Sunday when we give, there's a portion of our tithes and our offerings that go to support these missionaries. Uh, but also we have those special offerings uh, that go 100% to the mission field there. And so, Father, we pray for Roy and Bill Marie Vidal who are serving there in Puerto Rico. We ask your blessings upon them. Lord, we ask you to open opportunities and doors to start new churches there across Puerto Rico to reach those who are lost without Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And then also uh, give them the wisdom and discernment they need in discipling those believers uh, to help them to grow in their faith with you. So we ask your blessings upon them as well as all of our missionaries around North America as well as around the world. Keep them all safe wherever they may be right now uh, gathering together uh, to worship you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will just uh, bless them in a special way, help them to reach more souls for Christ, and we just pray that your kingdom work will continue to go forward in the days ahead. Thank you for the blessing we have to be a part of that. And Father, we thank you for the blessing we have to be able to gather here together this morning to worship you. And I pray, Lord, that's what this will be this morning for every one of us, a worshipful experience of, of worshiping you in song, of worshiping you through the word, as well as worshiping you with the response that we give in the invitation. So we ask your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is good to see everybody. As we said, I uh, want to encourage you to, uh, your, uh, you should have offering envelopes in uh, the pews there in front of you, uh, even upstairs. I want to encourage you to uh, do your, on, your giving there, uh, as well as your Annie Armstrong Easter offering giving. Those are in the windowsills if you still haven't done that yet. If you're at home, you can do that on our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab, and you can easily do either one of those uh, and other things that are there to designate uh, to also. So just wanted to encourage you to do that. Uh, you'll notice if you look around the stage and some of the tables as you leave this morning, uh, there's a yellow little piece of paper. Uh, this is our motion for uh, the uh, Uniting for Ukraine ministry that we're looking to, to do. Uh, we're going to be having a question and answer time tonight. So I want to encourage you to be back for that. Be back with your questions. If you've not given a question yet and you want to do that this morning, just write it on a piece of paper. You can hand it to myself. Uh, you can put it in an offering plate. We'll be sure to get that uh, and to be able to answer those questions that you may have, even if you can't be here uh, for tonight. So just want to encourage you uh, to pick up one of those so you can see what the actual motion is. Uh, we'll be voting on that soon. We'll let you know more about that uh, tonight when that actually will be. 
uh, it'll be several week, a couple of weeks out uh, that we'll be doing that. Next Sunday is Mother's Day, and so we want to encourage you to come uh, next Sunday. We're going to celebrate our mothers uh, with a special gift that we have for you, uh, and so I want to encourage you. I think you'll like the gift that we have uh, for you uh, this year. Uh, also, just want to mention, we were supposed to have a personnel meeting uh, this afternoon at 5 o'clock. We're going to switch that to Wednesday. Uh, so if you can be here Wednesday at 5 o'clock, uh, we had several other things going on. We've got an ordination service uh, over at uh, College Street uh, for Brother Patrick Waller uh, and several things like that that are going on this afternoon. So we're going to postpone that till Wednesday at 5 o'clock. So if you're on that committee, just wanted to uh, make you aware of that. Brother Mike. Deacons and for the uh, other folks that normally prepare the Lord's Supper, you have not messed up by not preparing this morning. <laughs> it's just that the next two congregational hymns are along that theme of gathering around the table and breaking the bread. So anyway, you hadn't messed up. So join us now as we sing 368, choir. <laughs> special that we're going to sing this morning is called the lion and the lamb with there is power in the blood and so we're going to i'll turn around at that point and ask you to sing along with us uh, with the part there's power in the blood
Children's Church will be gathering over by the piano during this next hymn. Hymn is 365. Stand and sing it with the choir as we sing in remembrance, and we'll do both verses. <coughs> Thank you, choir. Thank you, congregation, for joining with us uh, on our special music there. If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 26. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 20, and then verse 26 through 27. Actually, I think through 29, uh, different than what I have on the screen there, but through 29 is where we'll actually go to. 
Uh, you're going to find out as we go through this that there are kind of a lot of things that overlap in the Gospels here at this point. And so we're going to cover a few things in Matthew and Mark and Luke's Gospel over the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to come back to the Gospel of John that's going to fill in a lot of the blanks of things that happen uh, there at this Last Supper, as you'll hear uh, in this message. But we're going to begin with Matthew 26. We're going to read verse 17 down through verse 19. So would you stand as we read God's word in honor of his word? Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us for, to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage in the life of Jesus, I pray, God, that you will speak very powerfully to our hearts this morning, that although we may not be partaking of the Lord's Supper in its physical form this morning, Father, I pray that this will be a reminder to us that will always come to remembrance to our hearts and our minds when we do partake of it, and even in between, that we would always remember what it is all about and what Jesus came to do to offer his body and his blood. And so, Father, I pray that you will bless this message, Lord, to help us to never forget what Jesus tells us in these verses that we're going to look at in Matthew's Gospel. So bless your word. May it go forth that it would stir the hearts, Lord, of those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. May they come to faith as they hear the Gospel message of your love for us in sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And then also for us who are believers, may it encourage us and embolden us, Lord, to be more faithful as the days continue on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. So amazingly, as you're going to see as we look at these last verses in the life of Jesus' earthly ministry, all begins with a meal here. But not just any meal. It's the last meal of a condemned man. The night before he was to die, uh, he gathered together these 12 disciples that he had spent more time with than anybody else in his life, he gathers them around a table and he eats with them. You know, biblical meals, uh, unlike ours today, we, we even remember what meals used to be like uh, when we were younger. I remember gathering around the table with family, lots of family. Uh, every Sunday afternoon, we would always go over to my aunt's uh, and we would always have uh, a full spread on their table uh, that they were always ready for us when we got there after services uh, with, and they would sometimes even have to be finishing things. It was just a big gathering, uh, a family. You remember, we used to always do that, but now in our, our hustle and bustle of life, we run here, we run there, uh, we need the convenience of, uh, of, the, of the fast food restaurants or, or even the local restaurants in town, and, and those things are good for their convenience, but it has taken away uh, some of that... Uh, togetherness as families in large groups. In, in the biblical meals, uh, those meals were very, very simple. Uh, by and large, groups that ate together were very small. Uh, but in over three years of being together, practically every single day, these disciples had eaten numerous meals, maybe close to a thousand meals uh, with this man named Jesus. But on this night, 
they would share not only their last meal with him, but the most important meal that they had ever eaten in the history of this world. Because as you're going to see, it was a meal to end all meals. The primary purpose of this meal wasn't just to eat food, but it was to establish a memorial. This meal wasn't primarily for the body, for sustenance for the body and for nutrients for the body. It was primarily for the memory of what Christ was about to do. There's something that God has built into every human being, and that is both a desire and a capacity to remember. So we have things today like memorials or, or milestones or markers that we think of to remind us of, of certain events. I mean, think about it. Every husband knows that there are two things you better not ever forget because uh, your life, your very life depends on it. One of those is your wife's birthday and the other is your anniversary. And yet so often that's the one of the things, one of those or the other or both, we tend to forget those things. Well, it, believe me, it pays to remember what you need to remember. Jesus knows us, though, better than we know ourselves. He knows that we have a tendency to forget that increases with age. I mean, you, you don't notice that when you're younger, but as you get older, you begin to think, man, how did I forget that? Or, or you're trying to think of someone's name. I was talking with someone this morning trying to remember someone's name, and, and it just it takes forever to, to dig back through the files in your mind to pull that name out, and sometimes you can't. Or to remember that specific event. It gets harder as we increase in age. We, we don't remember things like we should, and we need reminders to remind us uh, of those things. So, so 2,000 years ago, Jesus said at this meal, in effect, two words, never forget. And the key takeaway I want you to get from this passage this morning is this, is that we ought never to forget what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. This Lord's Supper reminds us of several things to never forget. And I want to lay those out for you as we go through this passage this morning and even take us back into the Old Testament uh, to see how it relates to the Old Testament. First, never forget the love God has for us. Never forget the love that God has for us. You, you can't fully understand the significance of this meal unless you understand what was known 2,000 years ago as the Passover. The background for this event is found there in those verses we just read. Uh, the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? So even in that one verse, we see two different things that are given there. One is the, 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 the day of the unleavened bread, and then the other is the Passover. The Day of Unleavened Bread is just a part of the Passover. In fact, it's, it's sometimes used synonymously uh, for each other. And so don't miss the statement that Jesus goes on to make uh, in these verses in verse 18. He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. Now, if you read in all the Gospels before this, before this event, Jesus has always said on many occasions, my time has not yet come. 
And what he meant by that was the time he was coming to die on the cross, the time to be revealed completely as the Messiah, he knew that this would be his last night on earth in his physical human form there. He wanted to spend it with his disciples, keeping the Passover. Now, little did these men know that they were about to observe the most significant, important Passover event ever held in the history of the Jewish nation. Most of us don't even understand what Passover is all about. So let's kind of put it into perspective. With Passover, with the Passover, they would get together for two reasons. One, to celebrate a meal, and two, to remember the goodness of God to their nation and on their nation. When the Hebrews were in Egypt, when you go back to the Old Testament, when they were in Egypt in bondage, God, remember, called a man named Moses to lead them out of that uh, bondage there and take them to the Promised Land. And the Lord's Supper and what Jesus is about to do here is tied to that first feast of unleavened bread, to the first day of the feast, to the day of preparation and the sacrifice of the Lamb. Now, this feast is just another name for the Passover feast. However, on the first day of the Passover week, uh, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread had a special significance. It was a day that, that all preparations were made to celebrate the Passover. The preparations began securing the lamb, uh, taking it to the temple to be sacrificed. Preparations also included securing the food for the Passover meal, also securing the, the drink items necessary for the Passover meal, and arranging the room for the feast. But there were two preparations for which the Feast of Unleavened Bread received its name. One was the baking of unleavened bread. Now, what does that mean? So many of you here, you don't even know how to cook. You just use a microwave or you go to the fast food restaurants. Uh, you see that more and more. Uh, what does that mean when we talk about unleavened bread there? It means it doesn't have any yeast in it. So when you go to the store and you buy your normal loaf of bread, it has yeast in it. You can feel it. It's squishy. It's soft. It's risen. If it doesn't have yeast in it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be uh, flatter. Uh, and so the very night of this Passover, uh, God had told them to make these final preparations for being delivered from Egyptian bondage. But the Israelites, they didn't have time to bake leavened bread. Because think about it. You mix all those ingredients together, and, and if you put yeast in it, what do you have to do with it? You have to set it over to the side and let it rise uh, before you can bake it. And that takes time for that to happen. Have you ever tried to make bread? It's not easy. Even if you've got a bread machine, it's not easy. And so they would take it and set it over to the side and, and wait for that yeast to rise and cause that flour to rise up uh, before they would then uh, put it into the, into the oven, to ovens to bake it there. Well, they didn't have time to do all that because God was getting ready to deliver them. And so they had to break, bake bread without leaven, without yeast, because of the time that it takes for leavened bread to rise. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was simply, as we say, one of the Passover ceremonies by which Israel remembered God's faithful deliverance of their forefathers from Egyptian bondage, that they had to hurry, uh, they didn't have time. Uh, there was a ceremony by which all leaven within the house also had to be removed. 
And so the Jews, uh, for the Jews, leaven was a symbol uh, of evil. So in removing all leaven, uh, it was a symbol that they were purifying uh, the, and putting out evil out of their lives, out of their households. There was an actual search that they would do uh, throughout the house, through looking through the rooms of the house, looking for any crumbs that would be bread that would have leaven in it, that might have fallen on the floor or some uh, between the furniture. Whatever leaven was found, no matter how small of a crumb it was, it was removed from the house. And by removing all that leaven from their households, what they were saying was is that they wanted to be included among the faithful of their forefathers, the faithful who had cleansed their lives and their households for the journey uh, of deliverance from bondage. Now also on that night uh, that they were to leave, uh, God sent a plague through the entire nation of Egypt. If you remember the plagues that happened, it all started there with, with uh, before that, it started with uh, the Pharaoh uh, killing all the firstborn uh, there as, as we begin to read that story there of Moses, and that's why Moses was put in a basket in the bulrush and then was found uh, by, the, by the Pharaoh's daughter later. Well, this time, God brings a judgment upon the people who have, who, as we'll see, do not have the blood over their, their doorposts. Uh, and and the, we see the, the plague that he brings upon them of killing uh, the, the firstborn uh, child of every family to force Pharaoh to let Israel go. So God instructed the Jewish nation to take a lamb, to take a perfect lamb, a lamb that didn't have any spot, a lamb that didn't have any blemish, to kill it and then to drain that blood into a pan and take that blood and to smear it over the doorways of their house. Because that night when the death angel passed by, it would come to a home where the blood was painted over that doorpost, he would pass over that house and leave it untouched. And that's where we get the name Passover from. That night began the single most important of all the Jewish feasts and holidays. It became known as Passover feast and was the first on the Jewish calendar. Every family in Israel uh, commemorated their deliverance from Egypt with the sacrifice of that spotless lamb. Even to this day, the feast is the oldest of all the Jewish holy days. Four days prior to Passover... On the 10th day of the month known as Nisan, every family in Israel would select that spotless sacrificial lamb and take that lamb over to the priests at the temple to be slain. So keep in mind here that historical records show that in the time of Jesus, as many as a quarter of a million lambs were slain in a typical Passover season. That required hundreds of priests to work around the clock. It estimated, it's estimated that there were about 600 priests who were killing an average of four lambs a minute over a two-hour period to accomplish this task. And so much blood was shed on the top of the Temple Mount that it would flow off the eastern slope into the Kidron Valley, and it would turn the brook there in the Kidron Valley totally red for up to a week at a time. And that's a graphic picture. This day was a graphic reminder of not only how terrible sin is, but also how much God loves his people. Here's why. Because either God will remove your sin from you, or your sin 
will remove you from God. And every Passover, every Jewish family was reminded of the incredible love that God had for them. Israel had been spared because of the love of God. God had passed over their sin, their faults, their pleasures, not because of any goodness within them, not, be, not because of, of, of the geographical region even that they lived in, but because of His grace. Every lamb that was slaughtered, every sacrifice that was made was a reminder of the love of God. And so that happened back in the Old Testament. So fast forward 1,500 years later from that first Passover to 2,000 years ago in an upper room, and you'll find another thing that we're never, ever to forget. Don't ever forget the love of God towards you, but also don't ever forget the life Christ gave for us. Never forget the, love, the life Christ gave for us. Look down, if you will, to verse 20. Verse 20 says, When it was evening, so preparations had been being made throughout the day for this meal, and the evening comes, so when it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. So this would have been somewhere around 6 o'clock in the evening when everybody sat down for this meal. Now notice the word recline there. It's actually, uh, what, the, it's actually what the Greek, verb, Greek word means there. People didn't sit at tables uh, in, in days, in the, in the biblical days. Uh, meals were served on a, on a very low table, and guests would recline on pillows and eat. They didn't sit in chairs like we do today, even though at the moment... It was a relaxed setting. It would be a night to remember for those disciples and even for all of the world. The Passover had been observed, as we said in Israel, for 1,500 years. It was the oldest of all the Old Testament rituals. It preceded the giving of the law. It was given before any of the other Jewish feasts. It predated the priesthood. It predated the tabernacle. It predated the entire Mosaic sacrificial system. But here in this upper room, so much had happened in this upper room. Now, when you read the gospel accounts, John is the only gospel writer to cover the upper room in great detail. He devotes five whole chapters to that event. And as I told you earlier, we're going to come back to that account in, in a few weeks. But in contrast, Matthew and Mark, they cover only two events that happen in this upper room. And both of these are only given in a very brief detail. They concentrate first on Judas's betrayal of Jesus, which we're going to come back to here in the next week, uh, and then also the Lord's Supper. And in 13 fully packed verses, Matthew and Mark share what Jesus did to institute the Lord's Supper. So, so the, the disciples, understand, they didn't know anything about what Jesus' intentions were here to institute this new ordinance in his name. They just thought, we're coming to celebrate, to, to partake with Jesus uh, the Passover. Now, that's significant for what happens because Jesus shows uh, that, that he shows that Jesus tied both his death and the Lord's Supper to the Passover. 
And in so doing, Jesus was saying a couple of things. Jewish tradition held that the Messiah was going to redeem Israel during the Passover. In fact, they believed that he would redeem them on the very day that God delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Well, by this time, uh, by, the, by tying this supper uh, to the Passover, Jesus, he was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. Uh, whom Israel had anticipated. So now his time has come that he's publicly proclaiming that. And we're going to see that multiple times over in the next passages we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. But the sacrificial lamb that was used in the Passover was a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, sacrificing himself for us. And so by instituting the Lord's Supper on this day, Jesus was not only tying his death to the Passover, he was also proclaiming himself to be the very Lamb of God who was to be slain for the sins of the world, and he was proclaiming that the Lord's Supper was to be a new celebration which was to be observed by his followers. So we today as Christians, that's why we don't celebrate Passover. That was a Jewish feast. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, we are reminded of the deliverance Jesus gave us through salvation, through his death on the cross and giving his body and shedding his blood. And so the Lord's Supper was to replace the Passover, the celebration of God's deliverance from bondage. And this night would mark the end of the old Passover. Look, if you will, down to verse 26. Verse 26 says, so they were reclining, a relaxed atmosphere. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Now, you remember those phrases because we say those and repeat those phrases many times uh, as we partake of the Lord's Supper ourselves. But the disciples here, they had just finished eating some bread, which was a part of the Passover feast, and some lamb, which was the staple Passover meal. Normally, they would have immediately gone to the cup of wine, but instead, Jesus takes some of that unleavened bread... And he holds it in his hands and he blesses it. He thanks God for it. He breaks it and he gives it to his disciples. And he says, take, eat, this is my body. Now, if you listen carefully there, this is, we've heard that phrase time and time again. We know the significance behind it. But this is the first time the disciples have ever heard this. So you could just get the, imagine, uh, imagine in your mind here, if you listen carefully, you'll hear a stunned silence. Not one word is spoken in response to what Jesus has just said. Now those disciples, they, they know now that this is a totally different Passover meal. Unlike all the other 1,500 that had gone before it, it, it was different. It, it should go without saying that these disciples understood or at least should have understood that Jesus was speaking symbolically because after all his actual body had not yet been sacrificed. He was still physically present. Uh, they had watched him break the bread. So he wasn't saying that the bread is literally my body. He was saying that the bread symbolizes my body. And so what Jesus was saying with the bread is this. The next time you partake of this meal, remember that this 
Supper is a memorial. It is to remind you of what I am about to do. Jesus said in Luke 22, in verse 19, it says there, He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. But notice he adds a phrase, Luke does, that Jesus says that's not in Matthew's gospel, where he says, Do this in remembrance of me. And so the bread represented his body. And from now on until the end of time, common, ordinary bread would, be, uh, would take on an uncommon, superordinary meaning representing the body of Jesus Christ, which was sacrificed for our sins. But before that shot wears off, Jesus then takes a cup and gives thanks for it. Now, this wasn't done in the normal Passover feast. Notice verse 27. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. Now, these words would have stunned these disciples even more than what he had just said about the bread. Because think about it. There was nothing uh, more repulsive. Uh, notice what he goes on to say in verse 28. He says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He goes on in verse 29 to say, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So when he says that, that this cup, this juice in this cup, this wine in this cup represents my blood. When he says there, this is my blood, that would have just been repulsive to them. Why? <clears throat> it would have been repulsive to them because in the Jewish mindset, the, the ingestion of blood from either an animal or a human uh, was considered repulsive or gross. The Old Testament, in fact, strictly forbids eating and drinking of blood. And to this day, people, Jewish people eat kosher meat. So when you talk about kosher meat, uh, it's prepared with a process that rids it of any of the traces of blood. So Jesus adds a word, though, in Luke's version of this passage that's very important. Notice verse 20 of Luke 22. He said, Likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So what Jesus is doing at this point is he's saying, There is a new covenant that replaces the old covenant in the Old Testament. Under the old covenant, every year lambs had to be sacrificed. They had, a, had to be a continuous flow of blood to, to, to symbolize the forgiveness of sins. But this night, no more. There would be no more Passover. This last supper would become the Lord's Supper because the Passover had been passed over. Here's the third point you need to get. Never forget the lesson of forgiveness that the Lord's Supper leaves us. If you don't get anything else, get this point. The lesson of forgiveness that the Lord's Supper leaves us. When you go to verse 28 and verse 29 again, here's what he said. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. For what? The forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until this day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So the word for forgiveness there means to send off. 
It means to send away. The wrong is cut out, sent off, and sent away from the wrongdoer. The sin is separated from the sinner. Now, there are four main ideas in the biblical concept of forgiveness. There's the idea of why forgiveness is even needed. Forgiveness is needed because of our sinfulness, because of our wrongdoing, because of our guilt and the penalty arising from both. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. Somebody has to pay a price. Under the Passover system, it was a lamb every year, year after year after year. But when Jesus came, he died once and for all. And that's the second idea uh, that comes uh, with the biblical concept of forgiveness. Is that there's the idea of once for all forgiveness and total forgiveness. That there's not anything else you have to do to receive salvation. Jesus did everything that needed to be done when he died on that cross, shedding his blood and giving his body. All you have to do is to receive that free gift of grace. So we are once for all forgiven when we truly receive Jesus as our Savior. So belief in Jesus Christ is the only condition for being forgiven once for all. In fact, in the book of Romans, that's what we're told. We're told that if we profess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, what does the scripture say? You shall be saved. You will be saved. So there's the idea there of once for all forgiveness when you truly trust by faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So there's the idea of forgiveness also that maintains fellowship. Because understand this, even once you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that now you're this perfect, pristine person. You're never going to make any mistakes. Uh, you're, you're just perfect in every way. No. In fact, you're going to find out that you struggle and you still sin. Even Paul, uh, when you read about Paul's experience, Paul says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. He said, I struggle in my own heart uh, with doing the things I shouldn't do and not doing the things I should do. And so when you read even Paul's uh, relationship there, so sin affects even believers. It affects our fellowship with God, not our relationship. Once you become a child of God, you're forever and always a child. There's no way I can ever unbecome my mom and my dad's son. That's forever in stone. I can do, you could do it on paper. You could do it in a court of law. But physically, it doesn't change anything. When you trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you become a child of God. And nothing can undo that relationship that you have with him. But there's a lot that can undo that fellowship that you have with him. Sin can enter in and place a wedge between you and God. And that's why we have to confess of our sins, to acknowledge our sins even daily before the Lord. And so there's the idea here of, here of forgiveness that maintains fellowship because fellowship exists between God as the Father and every one of us who are here this morning and watching online as believers as his child. And when the child does wrong, the fellowship is disturbed. The fellowship is broken. The condition for restoring the fellowship, though, is confessing and forsaking the sin. But I said there are four things. Here's the fourth. There's also the idea of releasing from guilt. 
And this is the part that we have the most difficulty with ourselves, is we know what we've done. We know what we thought. We know what we said. Everybody else you may have hid it from. Nobody else may know anything that you're doing that's wrong, that's ungodly, sinful. And, 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 and yet maybe you have confessed those things before God, but you have a hard time letting go of that guilt. The forgiveness of God releases you from guilt. That's one of the differences between people forgiving people and God forgiving us. We may forgive somebody for, for wronging us, but we can never remove the guilt that our friend feels. And often, we can't remove even the resentment that they may feel within their own heart. Only God can remove that guilt and assure the removal of resentment, and God does both. God forgives and erases the guilt and the resentment. Now, does that mean there's not consequences of our sin? There's definitely consequences of our sin. I mean, if you, if you do drugs, there's going to be consequences to your body. If you drink, there's going to be consequences to your body. If you overeat, there's going to be consequences to your body. So there are always consequences for our actions. So it doesn't absolve us of the consequences, but it absolves us of, of, of our guilt and any resentment. Now notice it wasn't just the lamb's blood that would be poured out now. At this time, it was going to be the lamb of God, his own son, that would be poured out. Meaning there would never again need to be another sacrifice. Never again would the fruit of the grapevine ever have the same meaning again. This cup is to be a perpetual reminder that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has made the final and the full sacrifice for all of the sins of all of the world. Does that mean that everybody in the world is saved? Absolutely not. Because there's a ton of people who've never received that free gift of grace. So what does all this mean for us today? Here's what it means for us. Remembering the past can help us to evaluate the present. It can also help us to anticipate the future. We know that God has, has given his love to us. We know that Jesus has given his life for us. So remember, remember the forgiveness that he offers. We know we can handle anything because of his love, and our tomorrow is already taken care of because of his grace. So every time we take of that bread and every time we drink of that cup, never forget the love God has for us. Never forget the life that Christ gave for us. And never forget the lesson of forgiveness that the Lord's Supper leaves for us. Every time we partake of that Lord's Supper, we mark a memorial, we set up an altar, so that if we live to be a hundred, we'll never forget. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer this morning, what a powerful example and message Jesus has left for us. To never forget, never forget what he has done for us. And, and there's a perpetual reminder of that in our partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so, Father, I pray that 
even in those times in between when we partake of that supper, may we be reminded of these truths and, and the sacrifice that Christ paid for us and his love for us. And may we remember the forgiveness that's offered to us. Father, there are a lot who are here maybe this morning or watching online who they can't remember these things because they've never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior yet. And so, Father, I pray that they have heard the gospel message, even in those truths that we've learned this morning, that you love us and you made a way for us where there seemed to be no way, that Jesus Christ came to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. And all we have to do is to believe in him as our Lord, to profess him as Lord and Savior of our lives, and to believe it in our hearts, to trust in him, to follow him. And Father, I pray that you will produce the fruit of the evidence of that faith in our lives to transform us from the inside out. Father, I pray that there would be those who would call out to you this morning and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus as my Savior. I believe he died on the cross for me, I believe he was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And Father, if someone has prayed that in their heart and they meant that sincerely, I pray that you will begin to transform and change their lives into the child of God you would have them to be. Father, there are those who are here this morning who along the way we trusted by faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, but we've forgotten. We've forgotten what all this was about. We've forgotten what the Lord's Supper was all about, and it becomes more of a ritual than a reminder. And so, Father, I pray that you will stir within our hearts the love that you have for us. And, Father, that we would be uh, appreciative of that and not, uh, Lord, not count your grace as lost. Lord, I pray that we would be sure to, to uplift the name of Jesus Christ in everything we do, in all we say, in all that we are. Lord, I pray that you'll bring us also to the place of repentance, knowing we're not perfect. We have sinned also in our lives. And Lord, that we would come seeking your forgiveness, your cleansing. And we ask for your will to be done in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 502, will you come as the Lord lays upon your heart? Brother Mike, if you come and lead us.
Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Brother, if you come. We've got several that need to make announcements, so if you want to go ahead and come on up. Ms. Rima, you want to go first? I just want to remind everybody about prime timers. I had a nightmare last night that nobody brought a covered dish, and we didn't have anything to eat. <laughs> so I just want to remind everybody, please bring a dish. And also, since it's Mother's Week, uh, I want you to bring a picture of your mother, and we'll do a game with it. So don't be flashing your mother's picture around and showing everybody, because we're going to guess whose mother's who. And Mickey doesn't know it yet, but he's going to collect all the pictures. <laughs> And he's got this unique way of numbering things, and so we'll let him number the pictures, and then we'll play a game with that. But don't forget your dish, and don't forget the picture of your mother. Good morning. Um, if you need decorations for your VBS classroom, those orders are due to Amy by this Wednesday the 10th so that she can get everything in before VBS. Um, also, we are looking for volunteers and prizes for the VBS kickoff, so if you have prizes or you would like to volunteer, please get with Matt or I so that we can get a list together. Um, and then last, Amy should have sent you, if you're a new volunteer or you are up for renewal, Amy should have sent you a background check or awareness training. If you got those emails, please complete that soon so that we can be done and clear of that by the time VBS comes. Thank you. I just want to encourage you today as we leave the sanctuary to uh, pick up the baby bottles. Um, one per family. Once again, we're still uh, supporting Life Choices Pregnancy Centers. Uh, they have offices in Franklin, Coffee, and Grundy. Uh, we've been in contact with one in Manchester and Coffee County as we have in the past. It's a wonderful way to uh, honor our parents because uh, their motto is that change can change lives. So as you leave this morning, uh, pick up one of the baby bottles. There are many locations uh, as we leave today, and we'll be collecting change as well as cash in these bottles from Mother's Day through Father's Day. If you want to bring it in at any time during that time period, we'll be happy to collect them, uh, but we'd love to have them back by Father's Day this year. So thank you for your support of Life Choices Pregnancy Center. All right, a few other quick announcements and prayer requests. Uh, for prayer requests, Ms. Janet Carter has had some medical issues. She is back at home, but please keep her in your prayers. Uh, and then Pastor Jim's cousin, Ms. Cindy Cruz, her cancer has spread and she's not gonna be seeking any further treatment. So just give her comfort and pray for her comfort. Um, any graduates, uh, college or high school, please let Matt know. We're gonna be recognizing them on May 21st. So we'd like to have everything available for those graduates as they graduate. It is an accomplishment uh, to finish both high school and college. So we would like to recognize that. Uh, if you will, if there's no further announcements, we'll go to prayer and be dismissed. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for bringing us out to your house to hear the message that you laid on Brother Jim's heart. Just be with us as we go out into this world and just be that shining light for you in this dark, dark world that we're in right now. Just go with us, protect us, and guide us, and just forgive where I failed you. Amen.